Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hey everybody, welcome to an unfortunate episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show as we are set to talk about our Anaheim Ducks being in an 0-3 hole in the playoffs to the San Jose Sharks as they drop this game to a measly score of an 8-1 to final. This is embarrassing, Eddie. I don't know what else to say about it other than what is going on in this Ducks locker room that is continually causing problems up and down the lineup? Do you have any uh, quick feedback here before we jump into the first period? I mean, what kind of feedback can you give after an 8-1 loss in Game 3 in what was considered a must-win? I mean, there isn't much to say. I mean, I definitely did not expect this from this game. I don't think anybody did. You knew it was going to be difficult. I mean, the Ducks started pretty well up until, you know, I think those two quick goals in the third, in the second period just killed them because the, the momentum was there. The energy was there. They're actually outplaying San Jose in the first period. They were outplaying them early in the second, out shooting them. And, and then the, those two quick goals out of nowhere and they just lost all momentum, all confidence and it just snowballed to what was an eventual eight to one win for the Sharks. I mean, I remember laughing at the Flyers for losing what was it seven nothing seven one in the first game against Pittsburgh and and this is now the the worst loss of the Seneca playoffs so far and it it showed I mean it was just it was just awful nobody showed up after those two goals and uh, I can understand the frustration from a lot of fans. If you're a fan and you're tuning in and you decide to read Ducks Nation, I recommend that you uh, unfriend yourself from that group. Because uh, that's not where you're going to get great opinions from. If this is a goaltending issue, you are far from the truth. John Gibson has had nothing to do with these losses here. Um, yes, he was replaced by Ryan Miller. But when you're a Ducks team and you're allowing two-on-ones or consecutive chances from the high slot, converting on a power play or two or three, there's issues beyond goaltending here. I, I have a hard time understanding where anything falls here in the crease. We're definitely going to hop into this in the first period, but let's get to the pregame because it's going to be quick. It's John Gibson versus Martin Jones, as you would expect. Then they're looking at the, at the scratches here. Kevin Bieksa, surprised he's a scratch, honestly. Cam yeah. Fowler, Corbinian Holzer, Captain Canada, who's Eddie's favorite player in the NHL, <laughs> Antoine Vermette, and then everybody is uh, free Troy Terry, and everyone wants to see him, but he would not be seen tonight as he's also a scratch. Jason Chimera would uh, would draw in tonight because he's extremely fast and provides a lot of speed on that fourth line that barely plays. 
as Randy Carlisle sees fit. Eddie, can we please roll the intro so we can get into this breakdown? Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. I mean, where do we, uh, where do we start? And with this, uh, with this recap here, I... I don't even know. I have no words for this game. I mean, I, I think we should definitely keep this recap pretty brief. Uh, I don't think the nice people we have in this chat want to hear us talk about an 8-1 loss too long. I mean, we're going to get through it, but I, I, I think they've been through enough torture tonight that <laughs> going in-depth through a, a three-period breakdown of this game is just too much too much punishment. That's fine. We can make it really quick. So, yeah. I mean, barring any disruption from you, Eddie, I think the best way to go about it is this was an 8-1 to loss, and it was yeah. very lopsided on the scoring chance side of things. When you look at this uh, score sheet for Anaheim, uh, you're going to see that they had their chances and just were not able to bury them. Um, they lose 8-1. to Ricard Raquel was the trigger man on the power play. Let's talk about that for one second here. I don't want to go period by period if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Because I've been going by period by period here. It's going to be Sharks goal, Sharks goal, Sharks goal, Sharks. That second period is going to be a broken record. I don't think anybody wants to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like the Ricard Raquel thing was a positive because he was the trigger man on the power play, which we would have thought Monter would have been. Yeah. And Raquel is able to make money there and put it barred down. So that's the positive side of this, no? Yeah, I think so. Because that's what we've been looking for on the power play is that trigger guy. And what we've talked about before, you and me, if it should be Montour, Raquel, and you finally see Raquel get that chance and he, he fires it home, and that's what we've been looking for all season. And, uh, of course, we get it in game three of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and, and then the Ducks get hammered after that. So you, you really kind of forget about it. But it's hard to draw momentum from that because what's that going to do at this point, right? I mean, it's a little bit late. In game three, and and we're in a game that event now really doesn't matter because they're down three nothing, and, and yeah, you could throw that into a game four, and, and hope that it'll work again. But it, it's it's so late down the road now, and why haven't they done this before? I have no idea. It, it it sounded like such a simple option, just having a guy who could shoot the puck in the Ducks power play because they really just haven't had that guy. It's been too much passing. It's been overpassing at times. Uh, it's something we've seen from the power play ever since. Um, Paul McLean left, and even then, that was a, a pass-heavy power play. But it just worked because they had guys who went to the went to the net. I mean, Patrick Maroon was a big part of that as well. Corey Perry, when he was playing a lot better than he is now, that was the bread and butter for their power play back in the day. And and now it's more you need a guy who can shoot the puck. And R- Ricard Raquel is a Ducks' leading goal scorer, so it's it's no surprise he was tasked to do that in this game. It, just for me, it's too little, too late. No, it's true. And if you look down the score sheet and you see these goals, obviously the forward goal second period by the Sharks is the one that jumps out at you in an eight to one victory, which seems strange that they all, half of the goals came in the second period. But looking at these goals, 
it's just really telling of how this series has gone, and they're just making the better of their opportunities count. Lynn Holm gets beat in the corner in the first period on an entry, gets off of the lazy slot coverage, Couture makes it one nothing. Raquel ties it up with a bomb in the second, right? Yeah. Second period, Montour blows a tire, turns into a two-on-one, makes it two-to-one, Sharks. Third goal, Lindholm pinches up the ice. Sharks counterattack on a two-on-one. Sorensen finishes. Three-to-one Sharks. Sharks goal again. And this one was just a strange one. Eric Fair, of all people, outworks down low, puts it through uh, Cogs, and Gibby makes it four-to-one. And then Hurdle cashes in on the power play, making a five-to-one at the end of the second period. You can chalk up the third period or whatever you want it's going to be. It was yeah. not going to be the effort you expected to see from Anaheim. They were frustrated. They were down on their luck. Five to one in the third period of a third game playoff series is just not the place you're going to see a team rise up and score four goals and tie it up. I mean, do you, do you see this as the Ducks being overly outplayed or just creating chances and cashing in on them? Because I feel like that's the direction where the Sharks were going is the Ducks were unable to create those chances and the Sharks were, and that's kind of how she wrote this game. It's both plus more. I feel like because the Ducks started off strong and they they actually had came to play. And, and like I already said in the in the pregame and, in, and before we had started the breakdown a bit was those two quick goals by San Jose killed them and the Ducks just had no answer. They they really it just drained all the energy out of their game and you know, yeah, you're down three one, but there's at least at that point there's still a chance to get back in the game. Uh, and the, they really had nothing going after that. I, I mean, it was all Sharks from then on there out and because the Ducks just had no fight. They just felt like it was over. You know, they, they were playing so well, and they're like, well, how come we're, we're playing so well and we're down 3-1? to one? And that was it. And, and you need to see some more fight from this team, and, and a lot of it is that the Sharks did outplay them for the rest of that game. But up, leading up until that point, you know, I felt like the Ducks had a good chance, and, and it's just... There's so many things that, that go into it. And sorry, what was the first thing you mentioned? You said it was the Sharks out playing and the Ducks. They're just making the better of their chances. I better feel like if the Ducks would yeah. attack, the Ducks would attack. Yeah. And the Sharks do a hell of a job keeping the Ducks in the perimeter. And yeah. that's just kind of the way this series has gone. And then the Sharks are able to counterattack and then create a lot out of their high danger chances. And they were getting them. I mean, a two-on-one and a two-on-one. It's hard to yeah. put that on a goaltender. And then how are you going to fault the Ducks? They're putting been... a, a fourth man in on defense yeah. because they're down 2-0 and in the series. they got to make something happen in these games. They got they got burned by yeah. taking chances. That's been the Sharks' game plan since since game one, since the, the since puck drop in game one, is they've pushed the Ducks to the outside. They've limited their, their high-quality chances, and any chances the Sharks are able to, to get, they, they capitalize on them. And, I mean, the Ducks have been handing them chances, especially in this game. I mean, that second goal is tough because Montour blows a tire and it leads to a two-on-one. But I, I feel like how many odd round rushes have we seen, barring that stretch in game two where Gibson had stopped pretty much everything. It was late second, early third where he was just on a tear. Really, when have the Sharks missed an odd man rush chance? I mean, they've scored on pretty much all of them. And, and that's why they won 8-1 to one in this game. That's why they, they dominated, really, in, in all the other games. I don't think there's been a game that, at the end of the game, in, in these three games so far in the series, that you said the Ducks should have won that game. Game 2, you could argue a bit, but I still think the Sharks outplayed them in, in an overall effort. I mean, Game 1, of course, the Sharks are better. And, and then, of course, in Game 3 here, the Sharks were way better. But the Ducks just have not been the better team in, in any 
of these games. They have been for maybe small stretches, like in the the first and early second, but uh, they haven't had sustained pressure. So a lot of credit goes to the Sharks because, like we said after game two, they came prepared and they knew their game plan and they've stuck to it. And that's how you win a series. You stick to your game plan. If it works, you just stick to it. And the Ducks haven't been able to adapt. I mean, they've had three games to adjust to what San Jose has done, and they haven't been able to do it. And that's credit to the system that the Sharks have put in place. It's been a perfect counter for what the Ducks have done. I mean, they can't get any chances on Martin Jones, and the ones they do are pretty easy saves for him. And then he has to make the occasional good save because he was good tonight in this game. But uh, the Ducks aren't really challenging him, and, and that's a lot of credit to the way San Jose has been set up. And when you outshoot an opponent 46-36, to 36, you would think that you controlled the majority of the play and had the better of the chances. It didn't feel like it. It just no. it really didn't feel like it. And looking at natural stat trick, I mean, the, the Ducks gave up 17 high-dangerous chances for, or against, sorry, and then 11, 11 chances for. So the Sharks making good on eight of those chances, you would think. I mean, because most of the Sharks' goals came from within that plate, point-to-point. Yeah. Or, excuse me, circle to circle and then down to the crease. And it's hard to fault the goaltending. Um, the Sharks, like you said, have had the better of the play throughout these first three games. This really was not the game I expected from Anaheim to come out and play, an 8-1 to one loss. Um, you want to put a cap on this game and then talk about what we can do going forward? Because I don't think going through this and picking out plays is going yeah. to do anything other than aggravate anybody listening. Yeah, there there is nothing you can pick up. I mean, you want to put a cap on it. It's a it's a pathetic eight one loss by the Ducks, and now they go into Game Four in the Shark Tank. And I don't think you know there was um there were some positive thoughts after Game Two. There was some hope that the way they played in Game Two, they would be able to carry some things over, fix some things, and come out in a must win game and play better. There's none of that going into into Game Four. I mean, four teams in NHL history have come back from down 3-0. Toronto over Detroit in 1942. The Islanders over the Penguins in 1975. The Flyers over the Bruins in 2010. And then the Kings over the Sharks in 2014. That's it. I, I mean, that's... I don't know the percentage, but that that's <laughs> very low. Uh, the Ducks have almost no chance of coming back. And I, I don't want to sound like a downer or whatnot, but I feel like most of you believe it, especially... I mean, if this was a close game, I'd say maybe, because you look at game two, it was close. If this one was close, you say, okay, they've at least played somewhat well, and they've, they've kept it close. But how do you go into a game four after losing 8-1, where they just looked like they gave up? Visibly looked like they gave up, especially the top players. You had Getzloff, looked like he gave up, ended up getting a game misconduct for uh, chirping at the refs. Kessler and Perry taking bad penalty after bad penalty in the third period. The Ducks had no fight. They were done. It almost felt like it was... Game four, and they're about to go home. And I don't see that changing in, in, in game four, unfortunately. I mean, we'll still be here for uh, an inevitable post-game show, no matter what happens. But um, to put a cap on it, I just I, I don't see any hope going into game four. So an 8-1 to loss, um, you look at this series just as an outright by numbers. You're talking 3-0, 3-2, That is not really good numbers there for the Ducks unable to score um this team has shown that they can score and being down 3-0 in a series out shooting the Sharks if you just looked at this by the numbers you would feel like the Ducks are just not getting the puck luck but if you look a little deeper and you watch where they're getting their chances from so you're combining the eye test with their analytics 
you would see the ducks just aren't able to break through the sharks. And the broadcast even showed that the sharks sometimes have five guys all collapsing in on the front of their net and able to clear rebounds and clear loose pucks. I don't know if there's an answer for this, Eddie. I mean, there's been a lot of Carlisle bashing. I've been part of it. There's been a lot of Bob Murray bashing, and I've been part of that too. Is this something we should look at, or is this more indicative of how the players are reacting to the series? Or do you feel like this is really an internal problem that needs to be solved in the offseason? Well, I, I mean, I think it's a, a little bit of both, and I think what you should really look in here is a, a bit of Peter DeBoer praising in the way that they've set up, and I've, I've already said this multiple times, even on this show, but I felt like the Sharks knew what they were going to do against the Ducks, and, and that, I don't know if they're necessarily going to do the same thing if they make it on to round two against uh, most likely Vegas, because it's going to be a different matchup, and I feel like their setup's going to be different. It's going to be interesting what they do, because I haven't watched a lot of Sharks games throughout the regular season, but I don't think this is necessarily how they played on a regular basis against different teams, especially the last time they played the Ducks. They really set up their system and the way that their players are set up and everything to counteract the style they knew the Ducks were going to bring into this series. And and I think the where it comes into coaching for Anaheim is they haven't done anything to change it. And and maybe that's because they just can't or they don't have the, the players on on the ice to really change the style that they play because this is the same essentially the same setup in the same way they've been playing all season. It's just we finally have a team who's come in and just counteract that, counteracted that so successfully that the Ducks have just been stumped for three games now. And it's at the worst time, of course, going going into the playoffs. But, yeah, I mean, you have to put some blame on Randy Carlisle. I don't think it's all his fault because he has to ice the team that he's been given. And uh, he hasn't been given a lot of help by Bob Murray, especially down the stretch and into the deadline when you look at his acquisitions and Jason Chimera and Chris Kelly. And then that's all Canada, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid it. <laughs> that, that's it's, all it's they have brought in. Yeah, it has <laughs> I'm going to be. talk it's about it forever. Of, it's part of the show now, no matter what, no matter if he's a duck or not. But that's so. That's what it's. It's part. It's both because you know we we talk about this all the time with Vander Kane and what it what it took the Sharks to get him, and you felt like the Ducks could have offered about the same, if not more. I mean, I believe if I'm, I'm remembering off the top of my head, it was Daniel Regan a second-round pick that could become a first-round pick if the Sharks sign Evander Kane, and then a small piece if it's another pick or, or I can't remember if it's another prospect or something, but it wasn't a lot. And, and you felt like the Ducks could have offered that, and that's almost... There's a question that mentions Bob Murray's frugality and the way he has deals, and I feel like that, that hits the nail on the head right there. Is he just didn't feel like it was worth it to give up that much for Evander Kane. And not like Evander Kane would have won this series for the Ducks, but it certainly would have helped because the only trigger man we really have is Ricard Raquel, and he can't do it all himself. He's just not that type of player. We've talked about how he's he's a great player, but he's not a Connor McDavid. He's not an Alex Ovechkin. He's not a Sidney Crosby where he can win you it on his own. You know, he needs a supporting cast, and uh, they haven't had that help because the offensive threat that the Ducks have is just Ryan Getzlaff and Ricard Raquel because Corey Perry has been non-existent. He has no points in this series unless he got one tonight, which I don't think he did. And then you've got the second line, who's the offense isn't there, but a lot of that is, is on Ryan Kessler and his injury and the fact that Andrew Cogdano isn't really a second line forward. And that third line hasn't got anything going because they've been severely outplayed by the Sharks' third line, which has been amazing. I mean, Timo Meyer, Chris Tierney, and Kevin LeBanc have been great. So it's, it's on everybody. It's a mix of the players, the coaching staff, the general manager, everybody involved. 
So you said Evander Kane is not going to win you a Stanley Cup, right? Yeah. But he's definitely going to be on able his to own. hide on a roster and win you this kind of series. For sure. Yeah. And then you have guys like Pavelski, Couture, um, and then you have like, other guys chipping in like Timo Meyer, LeBanc, and then what if Joe Thornton comes back and they're yeah. talking about real players coming into this lineup making a difference. And Evander Kane's a hell of a player. But you're right. He is, yeah. He's not that elite echelon player, but he's a guy that's been burning Anaheim one game one, game two, game three. And we mm-hmm. even talked about he, how he was effectively shut down uh, five on five. But he's cashed yeah. in on the power play. He's caused trouble through this throughout this lineup. We tried to defend Anaheim here, but I mean, I mean, really, they haven't been able to shut down anybody in Game Three. Um, now they find themselves down three to zero in the series. What off-season changes, Eddie, are we looking at? Are you talking about a coach? Are you talking about Bob Murray, who I met at Starbucks, who I said good luck to? I mean, now that I know <laughs> how many him personally, times is that going to come up to show that you met Bob Murray at Starbucks? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's really. two in a row. I feel like it's it's gonna come up a lot. Like in the off season, Bob Murray's gonna make like a deal to, to get Pat Ready and be like, you know, I met Bob Murray at Starbucks, and <laughs> <laughs> I I whispered in his ear that uh, he should look at Pat Ready this summer. And hey, look what happened. He 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 ended up getting him. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna say I have or haven't had any of uh, you know impressions on him that stuck when he makes any deals in this off season. So I can, you know, easily criticize them if they're wrong. But uh, I, I have met Bob Murray. So is it him? Is it the players? Or do we do nothing and hope that the cap window and Stanley Cup window remain open for this Ducks team that is struggling this postseason? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question because I always refer to his comments in The Athletic where he talked about how he really believes in this team. And if they're 100% healthy to start the season, especially with Patrick Eves, that he thinks they're going to be a better team. I don't necessarily think those comments are wrong because, I, I mean, their play with everybody healthy showed that they were a better team. And even right now, they're still not 100% healthy because Cam Fowler's out of the lineup. But it doesn't mean this team didn't need help and he did not show up when they needed help. Even just small pieces. I mean, you you could see at the time, you know, if a guy like, you just had to assume if a guy like Cam Fowler or Hampus Lindholm or Josh Manson got hurt, who's there to cover them? Especially if they got hurt right before the playoffs. You As a GM, you have to think of these things. You have to foreshadow that these things could happen and have guys in place to replace them. You know, if we looked at the trade deadline at the point, we said, you know, if Fowler gets hurt, who's going to replace him? We're going to have, and this is before even Fowler and Montour are put together before they were playing as a pair and, and playing so well. You would think, well, then you would have Montour with Boschman still. You would have Linton with Manson. And then I, th- I believe Pedersen might have been called up at the time. You'd have him with, uh, with Bieksa. You know, you could easily predict what the pairings would look like, and that's what they look like right now, and say, well, that's not going to be good enough. That's not going to win you a series. There are plenty of guys available that I would have liked to add to that depth in the blue line. Ian Cole was a guy I really wanted who was available from Ottawa and Pittsburgh. He was, I think he was traded from Pittsburgh to Ottawa, and then he was still available because Ottawa was looking to sell. Ends up going to Columbus, and has been a good depth guy for them. And, and not that he's a part necessarily of the Blue Jackets being up 2 nothing against Washington, but he helps. I mean, he's a, he's a good bottom-pairing guy. And, and it would have looked a lot better plugging him in where Boschman sits right now with uh, Brandon Montour and having him there and then having a bottom-pairing that's not necessarily as bad, but at least having a top four that's serviceable. And then if you bring in 
a top six forward, you've added more scoring punch to this team because they've been they've been needing it all season. It's not like you know with everybody healthy that this team was was letting it up offensively. They still weren't. They still finished bottom third of the league in goal scoring for a good reason because they relied heavily on Ryan Getzloff and Ricard Raquel. So with, uh, with injuries, point, with yes. injuries. Yeah, so, I mean, getting back on the question, because I kind of got on a ramble there in a rant, but what they do next season, I feel like, based on his comments, is nothing. Because I feel like he he, he knows that Patrick Eves is most likely going to be back, and uh, he adds into the top nine that they currently have. And there's not a lot of flexibility there, really. Uh, I mean, unless they make a trade where they move Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasha for a top six winger, there's not much they can do to move guys around. You've got Andrew Cogliano, who you can't move. You've got Kessler, Getzlaff, Perry, who you can't move. You just re-signed Silverberg. There's no point in moving him unless you package him in a trade. There's really nothing you can do. you got to go with this. you got to roll with the, the guys you have, and uh, and that's what I feel like he does. You know, Maybe he makes a couple free agent signings or whatnot, but there's going to be no big move, in my opinion, unless you're moving out another player. Because you know, you, if you bring in a patch ready, if you bring in... Anybody of that caliber, you know, James and Riemsteig or whoever it ends up being, where do you slot them in and who slots down unless you move somebody out of the lineup? So two comments from our chat that have been listening to us talk about this this post-game part of the show as we wrapped up the 8-1 to loss and the mm-hmm. 0-3 series deficit um, is a couple of them. There's a, is our good buddy Jimmy, or he goes by James in the chat, but I know him. He says, uh, how sad are you guys going to be with Captain Canada is gone? Oh I'm going to be very sad. You pick out um, this question. I mean, it's the first <laughs> question that popped up on uh, on my on my browser. I'm just gonna say we should start to go fund me. That way, Eddie can get a Ducks jersey that has Captain Canada's name on the back, and I mean, just whatever number he chooses. Is it gonna say Kelly I mean, or is it gonna say Captain Canada? No, Captain <laughs> Canada, definitely. It's gonna be a jersey foul for sure. Um, and then the other part of it is. Uh, Christopher Smith says no Fowler slash Eves isn't Bob Murray's fault. It's hard to blame the GM, obviously, when there's injuries. Because uh, he also comments here, two conference finals in three years, and people are asking if big changes are needed. I think that answer uh, to those comments should be more or less on the line of, if you're looking at an, ag- at a, at an aging core with no movement clauses, and you yeah. didn't bring anything in to solve long-term your scoring mm-hmm. disability... Bringing in ease is great. He had an outstanding, crazy year, career-high year last year. To expect that even when healthy this year is kind of insane, in my yeah. opinion. And to look at it going forward, he's now in his 30s. That is not an answer. I think an and answer coming is... coming back from, from something that we don't know if he's even going to be 100% from. I mean, his, exactly. how do you know his fitness level is ever going to be the same? from that you don't I mean you have no idea and, and I was a big critic I mean I, I I welcomed him coming back for the price he came back for but I was among many that assumed he probably wouldn't do the exact same he wouldn't put up the exact same numbers he did you know because he's a guy who's in his 30s who had one good year but he played on the power play and played a lot of his minutes with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Bett and then came right over to Anaheim and was on a hot streak and finished the season with with Ryan Getzloff I mean that's great, yeah. But you know, we've talked about how a guy used to be in Anaheim, and, and Patrick Maroon benefited from the the ability or the the opportunities he had in playing with Ryan Getzlaff, and then going over and playing with Connor McDavid. And how you know he's he's a great player, yes, but he's not a top six forward. 
And I feel the same way for Patrick Gibson. He might have come out this year and still scored 20 goals playing on line with Ryan Getzlaff. I wouldn't put it past him because it's a lot easier to play with Ryan Getzlaff. But he's not our savior. He doesn't make this team a lot better. You know, he makes it better if he's in the lineup. He's another threat offensively that the Ducks don't have. But he's not a guy who's going to win you a playoff series, really. I mean, if he's in the lineup right now, he doesn't win you the series. He helps. He adds another threat, but he's not a guy... That you're gonna, you're gonna, it's not going to scare opponents. He's not going to scare the San Jose Sharks if he's in the lineup. Like like Joe Thornton skating in warm-ups scares a lot of Ducks fans. You know, you don't. He doesn't have that ability that you're worried about what he can provide. You could always look back at the uh, the issue of giving of giving uh, Kevin Bieksa a no move clause and signing him before he even puts on a Duck sweater, which further down the line causes the dominoes to fall where we see Clayton Stoner and Shea Theodore move to Vegas. Losing Shea Theodore and seeing him play this season and seeing him play in this postseason hurts Ducks fans. I mean, yeah. come on. It's all over everywhere you look, and it's hard to kind of bypass that. Henrique was an amazing piece the Ducks were able to bring over, and he's here next season in turn for Sammy Botnan, who provided yeah. a great value to the Devils. But the Ducks, with losing Fowler, have looked weak on defense. And then also looking at, with Eves being gone, yeah, the Ducks look slow and out of sorts on offense, but, I mean, he's 30, 32, he's like 32, 33. That's mm. tough to look in the long term at guys who are over 30, which sucks because I'm 34, man. I'm not a young guy like you, Eddie. I just, <laughs> I mean, saying anyone over their 30s is, like, ready to retire. I mean, I wish. Um, but looking at the NHL is kind of the way of the league. Everyone's younger, faster, and it's a different kind of game. Um, I just feel that... Bob Murray has kind of trapped himself in sort of a cap hell right now because that top nine, as you and I have stated over and over and over again, are kind of locked in. These three lines are yeah. locked in. Unless you're going to package Silverberg, what are you going to get back? Mm-hmm. What are you going to get back in there to, to, to create more offense? You're not going to get somebody better than Jacob Silverberg unless you package yeah. him with somebody else. Right? I mean, you're not going to get a 40-goal score for a guy who puts up 20 and plays third-line minutes. You're just not yeah. going to. It's It's... It's sad to, to look forward and think that most most of this isn't going to change. I mean, if we go into next season with this top nine, do you think that this, as fully healthy for the entire season, do you still think this is a bottom third in the league goal scoring team, or do you think that they that they're a little bit higher than that? I mean, I, I feel like optimistically they're around fifteenth, fourteenth. I, I don't think they break top ten. But, um, you know, I feel like where the changes could be made that could benefit this team, yeah, they were a, you know, a top uh, defensive team this year. A lot of that's on John Gibson and Ryan Miller. I feel like if you go out in free agency, and Ian Cole's a free agent, and I'm really high on him, and, and just adding value to this bottom pairing for the Ducks, because it, it's question marks about this bottom pairing going into next season as well, as if it's going to be all kids or who it's going to be if he actually gets a, a one-year, $1 million deal or whatnot. But... I feel like if you add somebody back there, at least that provides you a little bit of stability in front of John Gibson. And, and then you could maybe hope that this offense finds a way to get going if they're 100% healthy for the entire season with Patrick Eves back. I don't know. I, what do you think? Where do you think they finish? I have a hard time seeing them beyond middling offensively. I mean, Randy Carlisle obviously is more of a defensive coach, likes to play heavy along the boards. He's not a free-willing thinker, as you look at over that Gerard Gallant team over in Vegas and how they free-flow their offense back and forth. Um, and they're not star-studded. You know, you don't have a Tampa Bay lineup. You don't have a Winnipeg Jets lineup. You don't have a Nashville lineup. Anybody who looks at this team and legitimately thought they were going to win a cup this year 
I mean, you have to kind of wonder what they were looking at. And this team yeah. plays well in stretches, but putting up against against the league's best over a seven-game series, it's really hard to see them just roll over teams. I, I did not see them getting outplayed this series as badly as they have through three games. I get yeah. there is a statistical chance where they're able to come back and win this game, or win this series rather, in seven. But looking ahead to next season, they need to find something to change this offense. Because Ryan Getzloff is where all the offensive blood flows through. And if you're going to clog him up with guys who cut at the half wall and throw to the point in the fourth man and you can't get a shot through or pulled up that at the half wall and throw it back to the point to a guy who gets a shot block or a guy who loses the puck, you got to figure out something else that's offensively going to happen for you. Because I feel like during these playoffs, I mean, you're just looking at the Sharks team. It, it seems so easy for San Jose to counterattack the Ducks. It's it's kind of a wonder how this Ducks team was able to to uh, to win so many down the stretch and not get clogged up if this if the Sharks team has been able to to figure them out so quick. I mean, you gave a lot of credit to DeBoer, but I mean, how much do we look at more of a personnel on the coaching side of things or the GM side of things rather than the player side of things for changes? <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, it's so tough because. I feel like nothing happens, no matter what. You get swept. You could lose eight one again tomorrow, and I I just feel like Randy Carlisle and, and is back no matter what. And Randy Carlisle is back if Bob Murray is there. If and I don't think Bob Murray's gone. I don't think the owners fire him or whatnot. I feel like he is he's still here next year. And if he's still here, I believe he has enough confidence that Randy Carlisle is the coach to get it done. And it's hard for, for a general manager to give up on such a big decision. I mean, it, it, it basically, you're admitting defeat if you fire Carlisle now, right? You know, well, I, I feel like based off his comments already, you think that he thinks that this team is better. And if he, he, he assumed that he had some confidence in Randy Carlisle going into next season, I feel like he just waits it out one more year and sees what happens. It's, it's, as, tragic as it sounds i feel like that's the likely option for the ducks next year well if you break up with your girlfriend and then start dating somebody else and then break up with them and then call up your ex-girlfriend again and bring her back into the fold of your life (laughs) it's kind of hard to break up with her again and say it's her fault um (laughs) just kind of throwing that out there between bob murray and randy carlisle i mean i mean honestly that's what happened he got fired bring in bruce boudreaux high and then you fire bruce and and then you rehire randy and then you got to fire randy at some point and bring in somebody else. Um, there's other coaches available. You're going to see more coaches kind of fall off this summer, I feel like, that are going to be available. There's, I mean, but it's not going to happen. I know you and I have said this several times on the show, so I'm not going to try to change my opinion here. We all know yeah. Randy Carlisle is not going to get fired, and we all know that Bob Murray is not going to get fired. they got a freebie this year due to all the injuries, and that's just the yeah. way it's going to be. But this team's core is aging. For anyone to say that this Ducks team's window is wide open and they have all the time in the world to figure it out, they don't have a young gun coming up to solve this offensive problem they have here. They don't. There's no one slotting in in 1C or on left wing to help out. There's there's nobody. You got Ricard Raquel. You got Ryan Getzloff. And that, that Henrique line has been money off and on. And when it's on, it's great. But when it's off, it's, it's awful. And there's nobody else to back them up. That Kessel line has not been scoring enough. And the fourth line's not chipping in as much as they as we need them to be. So where does this offense come from? We went through, we just said 
the coaching is not going to change. The GM's not going to change. It's tough to change the players. So are, you, are we really going to go down and say nothing's going to happen this offseason because of the cap hell the Ducks are in with all the no-move clause? Is that what we kind of finished up here? We don't see any changes along the board here? Yeah, or do you, I mean... I mean, is that really what's going to happen? Yeah, I, I honestly think so because, you know, do do we really realistically think that if, if Bob Murray believes that this team is going to be better, that he wasn't willing to give up whatever he wasn't willing to give up for Patch Reddy or for Vander Kane at the deadline, that he's going to all of a sudden be okay with giving up at the draft and that there, there's really any any room to make that happen or, or any room to make any defensive changes here. I mean, that's the only the only place I see any changes getting made is for that bottom pairing. You know Boschman is gone. You you can assume that BX is, is going to be gone. Or the fourth uh, then line. You, You're going to see Grant yes. and then well, Chimera yeah. and Captain Canada are going to disappear well, for sure. I mean, you, you Grant could be back. Uh, no, he, no, we, no we back. said he would be sorry, but I mean, like yeah. Chimera and Captain but, Canada. But there's not. I mean, that's not going to really change much. And and then you, you know, maybe they go with the kids there, and again, maybe they go with the kids on the back end for that third pairing. Nothing else changes. I mean, the goaltenders are going to be the same. The top nine is going to be the same. The top four defensemen are going to be the same. The coach is going to be the same. The general manager is going to be the same. The only way that anything can change is maybe you insert one of the kids into the lineup. Out of training camp, like Sam Steele, Max Jones, Troy Terry, and see what they can do. But again, where do they fit and who do they bump out of the lineup? It just, nobody at this point. You know what I mean? And we talked about the last show, the only guys we could really see are Nick Ritchie, uh, and maybe Andrew Cogliano, uh, because I don't believe he's a, a second line forward, and that's no, you know, I'm not trying to, to be critical of him, but he's just not a second line forward when you, when you're thinking of a guy who can drive offense. And contribute. Um, so he's I, got I, no I, trade clause too, by the way. Yeah, so he's not going anywhere. But I just, I honestly think, and as, as depressing as it sounds, but I, f- I feel like a lot of people agree, so there's probably going to be no big change. You know, I'd be surprised if one of Randy Carlo or Bob Murray weren't back next year. And you would assume if Bob Murray gets fired that Randy Carlo would be out the door with him. So I, I have no idea what's going to happen that's going to change things around. I, I think... We're going to see very minimal changes and a lot more disappointed Ducks fans, just like we saw at the deadline. So, looking at cap friendly, I'm seeing Corey Perry no move clause till 21-22. Ryan Getzloff no move clause till 21-22. Ryan Kessler no move clause until 22-23. Patrick Eves modified no trade clause till 2020-2021. Andrew Cogliano no trade clause until 21-22. And then I think that's it. Going down the line, you got some expiring contracts that were no modified no trade clause or no move clauses that expire. So yeah, the core of the team will be intact. You're not going to trade Ricard Raquel. I don't see the point in trading a Jakob Silverberg because he puts up 20 goals a season and he's on your, he's getting third line minutes. Um, yeah, I'd have to agree. It's going to be real interesting going into the offseason what kind of changes we're going to see. But, I mean, you're pretty much barring a crazy move by Bob Murray that's going to send a, you know, a marquee forward somewhere. You're looking at your team for next season. It's just the way it is. Um, yeah. I saw some people saying things about Corey Perry, like, you got to move Corey Perry. Like, really? You're going to move $8.6 million off the, off the cap to where? Who's taking him? Who's uh, gonna, at this you know, point what are you gonna in get his back? career for that much money with – 
the way he's been producing, and it's not like he's inspired any confidence with his play in the playoffs and, and some of the dumb moves that he's made. No, nobody's taking him, really. And if they are, you're not getting anything back for him because all right. the value you could get for him goes out the window with the $8.6 million contract. It's It's gone. It's the same situation, in a way, that Ottawa has with trying to move Bobby Ryan in his $7 million contract. I mean, they're just plugging him into any deal to dump salary at this point and not really expecting any return for him. So you're not going to get anything for him. You might as well keep him in the lineup. Uh, I feel like keeping him in and, and the fact that he can still hit around 50 points is a lot more valuable than getting nothing for him and just shipping him out. I mean, if you're if you're trading him, you're rebuilding at that point. You're not getting anything in return to make this team better. And and you, you'd mention the same thing with if, if you're moving Jakob Silverberg, unless you're bringing in another player, you're essentially moving him out because you're rebuilding. So it's it's a real interesting offseason and turning point for the Ducks this year to see what they're going to do. I feel like they do nothing, and they they just kind of keep the group that they have and, and try to give it one more go. They have one more go next year and, and see how things turn out. So uh, it's it's so disappointing, and and the the post game comments from some of the players that I'm seeing right now uh, don't inspire confidence for for game four. To be honest, I, I mean Francois Beauchemin said eight one in the playoffs, tough to digest for sure. But we'll respond. We'll respond. Well, where is that response from game two and tonight? Right? Uh, I mean, don't have any confidence that they'll respond. And and then you have Josh Manson saying, "We know what happened. It's embarrassing. It's not good enough. Now it's do or die." I mean, well, it was not do or die tonight. If you don't win this game, then you're down 3-0. And, of course, they end up losing. Uh, it, it's almost just cop-out answers. It's just answers that, you know, you, you lost 8-1. to one, You're just trying to to kind of dance around the question a bit. Because, yeah, th- these are games where you should have been responding for last game. And you should have been prepared for a do-or-die game. And they weren't. Well, jumping into the chat here, Chris Smith says they could trade Richie. And then James follows up with Richie. That's something you and I have kind of talked about. I mean, he's really the only piece that would move that would make sense. I mean, you know what he is. You know what kind of value he provides this Ducks team. Maybe somebody's going to overvalue him somewhere. I mean, I'm always a big proponent of GMs are dumb, and they like to make dumb trades to help out their buddies, and or they just, like, make hockey trades just because. Uh, yeah. whatever. I don't know what to tell you about them. I mean, just go look at uh, – at Peter Chiarelli, or go look at Mark Bergevin and, and tell me how great of a GM those guys are, giving up just incredible assets for bags of pucks. So, I mean, there is always something to be gained by a player, and Nick Ritchie's not trash. Not saying that whatsoever. He was just picked really high and had high expectation and was not fitting where that expectation sits. Um, so, yeah, Nick Ritchie's definitely an option, I feel like here. I mean, you would still agree that would agree with that? I mean, I kind of just want to just answer that question real quick. Yeah, I would agree with that. And we definitely have to get into the chat here because I feel like we've neglected our listeners so far because there's a lot of conversation in the chat, so we'll get to that after this. But I feel like it's still an option because, you know, he hasn't been good. I mean, I mean, the last time we criticized him, we looked in and we dove in the numbers and he was actually playing pretty well for a stretch there with Adam Henrique and Andre Cash, and then they kind of disappeared and he's just been underwhelming, and a lot of that, again, comes to the fact that he was a former 10th overall pick, and you expected so much from him. I mean, if he was a third-round, fourth-round pick, we'd be like, okay, you know, whatever. We're happy with the, the 20, 30 points that he can provide and, and the nastiness and the edge he brings to his game, but it's the fact that uh, you look at some of the players you could have got at that pick, and it's disappointing. 
And, and I, I feel like that's where all the criticism stems from. So maybe they decide to move on. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it, it opens up a hole then for one of the younger kids if you want to move on. You know, you maybe you go out and you grab another draft pick, whether it be a third, a second. I mean, that's that's even high. Again, a second. But you're banking on that some team's willing to pay for his potential there. And then you just you kind of retool a bit by grabbing that draft pick. And then you maybe throw in Troy Terry or you throw in Max Jones or Sam Steele if they're ready and hope that uh, that changes things a bit. I mean, I honestly, I'd be all for that because I feel like we've seen what we're going to see from Nick Ritchie. And uh, he necessarily doesn't fit the way that this team should be playing in the long term. And I feel like trying to see what Troy Terry or Sam Steele or Max Jones could bring to this team earlier rather than later uh, could be interesting. Because if if they fit in the lineup right away, if, if for for example, of a guy I would I would love to just light it up in his first season and I don't know if he will necessarily it's a huge jump but Sam Steele I mean if he if he can produce like we think he will eventually in the NHL in his first season that's a huge boost to their offense right there I mean you get a guy in your top nine who is offense first who definitely thinks the game at a higher level than Nick Ritchie and can provide that boost to your offense that you're looking for and become another threat I mean I don't think it happens but that would be a better option than having Nick Ritchie in the lineup. And if you can go out and get a second-round pick for Nick Ritchie and just plug in a guy who's ultimately better that you have in your system right now, I mean, why not? It, it kind of kills two birds with one stone. Um, or even put Troy Terry on that line. I mean, yeah. if you want to throw out a player who's been you know, not utilized whatsoever in the playoffs, put Troy Terry in, in place of Nick Ritchie and see what happens in the long term next season uh, and then trade Ritchie for assets. Um, Troy Terry is obviously somebody that everybody's wanted to see play. He hasn't got the minutes. I want to answer something really quick from Dean H. in our chat. Kevin Bieck says, out the door next year, right? He put the question mark. Yes, he is. Barring well, at the end a, of this season. So, yes. Yeah. A, a barring a, a uh, end-of-year incredible signing by uh, <laughs> our very much beloved Bob Murray. If he gives him a one-year, one-mil, um, that's the only way he stays, I would feel like, unless he got some other ridiculous contract up his sleeve and money he wants to give away. But all points look to Kevin BX being out and Boschman retiring. And BX, it's just not in his prime. I'm not trying to trash the guy. He's just not in his prime. Yeah. He's just not that guy that we need to look to to make plays. He's been burned several times. He didn't look great last game. That third, that third pairing, I mean, I know you like Ian Cole. He's been getting, I mean, that third pairing's just been getting eaten alive this whole series. I'm looking more here at the chat. Let's see. What do we got here, Eddie? I don't know. I'm Who going back could to you like get this. for Kasha <laughs> but also need the cap space as well? Who could we get for Andre Kasha? I don't like, want to is get, it straight up or is it in a deal? I mean, I don't want to get yeah. anybody for him. I want to keep him and see yeah. what he does. I don't want to trade that guy. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you the only way he gets moved, I think, is I don't think you would – there's no point in trading him straight up, really. I mean – it doesn't benefit you at all. I mean, if you're looking to rebuild, then he's a guy you would include in that rebuild. Unless you're packaging for Pacioretty or a player of that caliber where a team says you have to include this guy in here. That's you know one of the main pieces that we're going to take back in our trade. Then maybe, but uh, I don't know. It, it would it would I'd have to see a deal written out to see how it would work out. Like if you had, and again, I'm probably overvaluing what Kasha would be to another team because he is relatively unproven, but we've seen enough of him that we believe that, that he can be a consistent player for the Ducks. But, you know, teams would probably be looking for, if you if you going off the rumors we had for a price for Max Pacioretty at the trade deadline, it'd be like a first cash a plus for Pacioretty. Is it worth it? I don't know. 
I mean, Pacioretty definitely makes this team better, but uh, that's a lot to give up. And again, mentioning the frugality of, of Bob Murray, does he really make that trade? I, I don't believe he does. You know, that's just not in his makeup to make those massive trades and, and mortgage all those futures for a guy who's going to be with the Ducks for maybe one or two seasons. A common theme you'll see across the NHL is GMs overvaluing their picks and prospects. They love yeah. to overvalue things in the short term um, and feel like they made the correct you know, picks, they made the correct trades, the correct signings. Um, so, yeah, I would not expect Bob Murray to create any sort of havoc in the Ducks lineup and bring in a piece that's going to disrupt what he has. Um Let's get to some of the questions you have up here already, because I know you pulled some already here. I don't want to keep yeah. avoiding them, because I know we got something to answer to, unfortunately, because we have to continually talk about how we're going to de- deconstruct this Ducks team. <laughs> For sure. I want to go through the chat here, too, because I feel like we've maybe missed some questions because we have a lot of responses in the chat, and I was scrambling, so I feel like... We missed some things. Connor said earlier, he said, I love the Ducks, but we're one of the dirtiest teams in the league and we need to stop. Do you, do you think the Ducks are one of the dirtiest teams in the league? If you put, a, put aside some biases, put aside being a, being a homer for a bit, do you think the Ducks are a dirty team? Cause we hear this a lot from everybody. I mean, not just in the series, but from everybody oh, in face. Uh, looking from the outside. Anybody watch the, the Toronto team? game in the playoffs? Anybody watch Boston? Brad Martian, uh, Nazim Kadri. Did anybody turn in, uh, tune in to watch uh, McNabb or I forgot who else elbowed Kopitar last game in the Vegas uh, Kings series? Look, I mean, you're going to get a, you're going to get a pest on most teams, just the way it is on most competitive teams. There's a guy that gets under your skin that's talented. Brad Martian is the king of all the rats, as everyone likes to call him, the rat. Uh, he also is extremely talented. Um, Cord Perry is more or less that guy for the Ducks. I would think he'd be the only one you could kind of throw out there as being somewhat dirty. I don't really feel like this Ducks team, I don't know. I don't think I can call them a dirty team. I think they have some questionable plays now and again, but as just a dirty team in general, I would have to disagree. Yeah, for the most part, I would too. I I feel like they get a lot of flack for being... A dirty team, and and again, you might. Have, it's it's one thing it'd be interesting to dive into the numbers and and uh, what's let me see here. James brought up in the chat like how many the suspension the Ducks have lately and those types of things that go into it and look at the, the different amount of plays where the Ducks have been involved in dirty plays like that. I, I feel like it's an easy thing to just plug in on the outside looking in. I, I mean, it's just one of those stereotypes that seems to go a, a, around the Ducks no matter what lately, just because of, of players like Corey Perry and Ryan Kessler and Nick Ritchie and, and of the likes like that. I, you know, I, I think it's an unfair criticism at times. I mean, the Ducks do have a lot of players who play in the line. And a lot of times they cross it. I feel like Corey Perry in the last game, his hit on Melko Carlson crossed the line. Um, but, the, you know, the little slashes and the, the scrums after the whistle, those aren't dirty plays. You know, that's just the way, that's the style the Ducks play. And, and that gets classified as dirty sometimes for being a team who's physical and plays on the edge. I mean, you know, giving a guy a little bit of a shot after the whistle isn't dirty. If you want to look at dirty, look at what Hedman did to Nico Hischer today. I mean, he gave him a shot between the legs after the whistle. He was I just checking to make sure he wore his cup. I mean, yeah. Nico so, asked I mean, him. But, but yeah, but that's that's a bit of a, a dirty play, right? And you don't see True. It. And nobody, nobody's going to talk about 
the, the Tampa, Tampa Bay Lightning being a dirty team or Victor Hedman being a dirty player. But if Corey Perry does that to Evander Kane in this game, oh, we're talking about that for weeks because of, of the, the notion that he's a, a completely dirty player. And yes, I, I mean, he does make some bonehead plays every now and then. And yes, he's a guy who consistently has played on the edge for his entire career. So he has that, you know, pest and, and that stigma around him. But, I feel like it's unfair to call this entire team dirty and to say that they're the dirtiest team in the league. Um, but they, it's they like do Chris need to stop some of chat. these things. Yeah. Chris in our chat says, I think some of the personnel used to be a little dirty and that stigma will never go away. I have to agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of the way it is. Um, They've been dirty in the past. It happens. I mean, but I mean, no one's talking about Rafi Torres on San Jose, you know, knocking mm-hmm. out Jakob Silverberg in preseason, right? I mean, no yeah. one's talking about those kinds of plays. Rafi Torres, notoriously a dirty player and, you know, was employed with the Sharks just happens you have some players on your team that kind of do some things and then it just kind of sticks with them throughout their career so we'll kind of go with that uh, dean h let's get to your question man let's solve your sweater comment uh <laughs> let's see what he says here where does where's this question there's gonna be new sweaters for the next game yeah a wet for next year, on next orange year. or a revamped of the reebok third oranges they already said the body will be orange Interesting. Do you know anything on that front? I know that you and Mike no. kind of are more in tune with that. Have you guys heard anything? Yeah, we heard something at the beginning of the season that they were going to go orange. We talked about it on the podcast. I don't know how much of uh, like quality information it was. Um, I don't know if it was just rumors that the, the ownership was looking to go back to orange. I don't have any sources or any any back you know inside information on what they're going to do. It's just there's been rumors that they want to go back to Orange, whether it's going to happen or not, and they couldn't this season because of the, the with the Adidas jerseys, it would just make sense for them to keep the regular style jerseys they have now and the fact that they can't have any third jerseys. But that was rumors that I heard at the beginning of the regular season. Whether it's true, I have no idea, but it would be cool. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of a revamp, um, whether it be the jerseys, the logo, or whatever. It would be... Uh, it'd be interesting. I'm always interested to see the third jerseys when they come out. Um, I do like the Ducks jerseys and their logo now. I'm just saying it'd be cool to see a bit of a change, whether it's switching to orange. Because, I mean, if they switch to orange, I'm not sure how well the current logo works on just an orange jersey. I feel like it looks a little bit weird. I'll ask Bob Murray on Thursday when, when I run into him at Starbucks. <laughs> when you, uh, when you have your Starbucks date with them on Yeah, we, we, uh, on we plan to meet there at 8.30 on, uh, Thursday, just so you guys know. And, and it's in, uh, Anaheim Hills. You guys want to roll over here? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have, we have a long talk ahead of us because the Ducks have a chance to either extend or be eliminated on Wednesday. So I think Thursday is a great day for you and I to have our coffee date. I'll hit him up then. Uh, as Jimmy says in our chat, great, another jersey. My wife's going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> All of us are. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Who, um, who wants to, anyone to spend $200 on a jersey besides uh, everyone who wants to buy them? <laughs> let's – let's because we've got a ton of questions outside the chat, but I want to rip through all the things we have in here because, I mean, these guys have been dedicated enough to be in here tonight. So let's just go through these as quick as possible. Uh, sure, let's do it. About 40 minutes ago because we missed some of these. Chase said, um, I wouldn't mind trying to get a high draft pick this offseason, but what would we give up? Just a quick brief answer. What do you think? Like a top five pick. Repeat the question one more time. I'm looking for it. I didn't see it. Uh, it's it's way back in the beginning. He said if the, the, the Ducks were going to get a high draft pick this offseason, what would they give up? What would they give up for a high draft pick? Yeah, and I'm assuming high draft is probably like top five, top ten. Nick Ritchie. 
Yeah. I feel like <laughs> I mean, it, it centers around, like, your first and then plus. Like, probably plus yeah. Nick Ritchie and then maybe some more. I mean, if you're of getting a top five, you're looking at a lot of assets giving up, especially because the Ducks pick is probably going to be around 18 to 20. So you're looking at giving up some assets. Um, for Dean, he asked a question too. If BX is done, who takes his permanent spot next year if he doesn't come back? Is it is it was new? Uh, sorry, Walensky? Is it Pedersen? Is it Larson? Is it somebody else that we get at free agency? Who do you think takes his spot? It's interesting because we're not going to have Bosch and we're not going to have BX. So you got you got Hampus and Manson, and then you have Fowler and Montour, and then you're looking mm-hmm. at that third pair is going to be young kids. But you have to feel like. Bob Murray's going to bring in some vet to bring in and rear up the third pair. He's not going to let two rookies take this take this third pairing. I don't feel like he's going to do it. It's going to be a veteran and then, and then a young kid coming around. There's no way in hell he's going to trust an all rookie uh, pairing at this point. I mean, look what look what's happening to him in the playoffs. You're getting eaten up, right? And there's no way in hell Bob's going to let that stand for next season. Uh, Gordon, Gordon Bombay in the chat. I bet Bob Murray tells the story too. Like, guess who I met at Starbucks? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's very true. He probably does. <laughs> um, before we criticize, James brought in the chat. Before we criticize Ryan Kessler, uh, considering he wasn't 100, percent he had a hip replacement. He was a Selkie Trophy candidate last season. Do we give him another healthy season before we kind of criticize him and talk about moving him or whatnot? We're stuck with him. He's got a no yeah. move clause. He's not going anywhere. Or just anywhere. like before we just completely oh, rip us, him us. apart. Oh, for, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. I want to see what he's like in the first quarter of next season. I, I really want to see what October to December looks like or October to November looks like. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I don't know if he'll ever be back to the player he was, which is unfortunate because he was coming off such a good season where we thought he was kind of snubbed for the Southie Trophy. And then he comes into this year, or he has the hip surgery in the off season, and then doesn't play until near Christmas or right after Christmas, and just doesn't look like the same player. I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate, and I hope that he can be back. I, I don't know. Do you think he's ever going to get back to that type of player again? You know, not oh. just with the injury, but with age and everything like that. If he was twenty four, yes, he'd be yeah. about probably ninety percent close to back where he was. I feel like, or more. But at 34, the start of next season, I don't think he's ever going to be the same guy we saw. I just, unfortunately, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, moving on here, we had Gordon uh, Bombay in the chat said, why is Randy Carlisle so adverse to rolling four lines? If Troy Terry is in, that's a legitimate line with the right accompaniment. Because you can't trust people who haven't been there before, Gordon. You have to trust <laughs> the guys who have been there, who are in their 30s, who are slower and uh, have less playmaking ability. You don't want to throw anybody in there with an experience and give them a shot, you know, when you're only playing them five to seven minutes a night. Honestly, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like Ryan, or Ryan, Randy Carlisle, rather, just doesn't trust kids. He just wants yeah. what he – I mean, most coaches, I mean, the old school guys, they just – they want to know what they're going to get night in, night out. You know what you're going to get from Chimera. You know what you're going to get – from Kevin Bieksa, you know what you're going to get from Francois Beauchemin. Those are the guys you know night in, night out what they're going to do. You know their mistakes. You know what their positive sides are. You throw in a rookie, you don't know what you're going to get. And that frightens a lot of NHL coaches. They're old school. Yeah. Uh, Chris brings up a good point about talking, when we were talking about the Ducks being dirty. He said 40 years later, people still call the Flyers dirty. They're still dirty. The, they're, the nasty, they're a nasty players. fan base. They're a nasty fan no, base. No, yeah, but I mean the team right now, as it's constituted, isn't a dirty team. But – 
they'll do one thing wrong and they'll talk about how the Flyers are a dirty team because because they get embarrassed by Sidney Crosby night in night out. Yeah, yeah. but I mean they're they're kind of in the same boat of of what the Ducks are. Gordon no, Murray you're right. Brings up when we were talking about how that the Ducks current logo wouldn't look good on orange, and he references the stadium series jerseys and how bad the logo looked on the orange jerseys. I, I'm all for that. I feel like the webbed D just does not. It doesn't just go well with an orange jersey. I feel like it just looks weird. And I I don't think they changed the logo, but it would be so interesting to see what they would do with orange jerseys. I don't know how they would really work that because I wouldn't be a fan of having the current logo um, on the orange jersey. Hey, no, no. The Mighty Ducks logo on the orange jersey is sick. The third jersey, I love yeah. that jersey. I own that jersey. Um, I, I'm okay with that becoming the, the official home jersey. I mean, that's that's my favorite one. I mean, the other jersey that I wear the most is the Paul Korea Stanley Cup jersey, the eggplant yeah. teal. That's my, that's my other favorite one. So I love, um, I love the old school logo better, way better. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, all right, so we got through the chat. Now we can get into the million questions we have from Twitter and from Reddit, and we're just hitting an hour now. So we'll, we'll, try, we'll try and go through these all because I feel like we can get into them, but... Uh, That's exciting. ESPN. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, of course, on the day where it is an eight-one loss in the playoffs, we get a, a ton of questions. So, um, we had SEC SPN on Twitter who said, "Can the Sharks pull off a 2014 again?" If anybody doesn't remember, that's where the Sharks ended up going up three nothing against the LA Kings, and the LA Kings came back and won the next four games and eliminated the Sharks in Game Seven. So. Can, can the Ducks pull it off, or, or will the Sharks choke, as they have routinely done in the playoffs? I hate being a Debbie Downer. I'm a massive Ducks fan. I uh, turned off my TV in Game 7 against the Ducks, when it was the Ducks playing the Red Wings. I suffered through the 2003 loss in the Stanley Cup Final uh, with Paul Correa. And beyond that, I was at the games in 98, 97, 96. I've been there. They're not coming back this season, guys. Uh, this series for me is cooked. If they somehow pull off a win on Wednesday, you're looking at a loss on Friday. I just don't see this Ducks team showing us anything five on five. They're not score. They have one even strength goal or two. I'm sorry. Is it one or two? Cause looking at Raquel's it's, goal tonight was a, a power play. Raquel yeah. was a power play goal. Lindholm was a power play goal. So then the only goal that was even strength was Jakob Silverberg. This team 5-on-5 five five is garbage. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not creating anything offensively. I, I'm not seeing anything happening for this team. The Sharks have scored 8, uh, 6, so 14 goals in three games. I, I just don't see this Ducks team coming back in San Jose and winning a game on Wednesday. I hope they do. I hope I'm wrong. I really, really, really do. But I don't see the Sharks pulling a 2014 again. All right, so if I want to give you guys some hope, and I'm looking back to the series where the Sharks ended up losing, the 2014 series where they lost to the Kings in seven games after being up 3-0. So in that year, the Kings were 25th in goals for. They were first in goals against. The Sharks were fifth in both goals for goals against. So the Sharks were the better team offensively. In game one, they pumped the Kings 6-3. In game two, they pumped the Kings 7-2. In Game 3, they won 4-3 in overtime, and they were up 3-0. Then the Kings went on to win 6-3, 3-0, 4-1, and 5-1. That's a team who was ranked 25th in offense. The Ducks this year, I believe, were 23rd. Now, of course, these are two different teams, and the Kings back then 
were a great team and they were defensively sound, but they ended up rattling off 18 goals in the last four games of that series. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't put it against the Ducks to do that. I feel like they have the guys to do it if they can figure it out. But, I mean, if we're being realistic, this series is pretty much done. There's a small chance they can get back, but there's a reason only four teams in NHL history have ever done it. And that Kings team was a special team back in 2014 that, and that they were able to pull it off. So, you know, there's hope. There's a chance. There's always a chance when you're still in the series. But um, it, the Ducks are going to have to completely change the way they're playing. Because, I mean, obviously the Kings did after Game 3 in that series. And they completely switched it up and changed things. And they are able to change the way they're playing and, and outmatch the San Jose Sharks for four games pretty easily. And they were pretty easy wins, all by a margin of at least three goals. So I wouldn't put it past them, but it's going to be tough. Uh, let's let's move on to the next question here. Kyle asked on, on Twitter, and I believe this was at the end of the second period, so it just got worse from there. He said, what drink of choice is allowing you to get through this game? <laughs> uh, so for me personally, I usually go with, uh, with Modern Times. I've been drinking their Fortunate Islands, uh, which I did not go out and get, so I settled with Sierra Nevada Sidecar. I drank a six-pack from the second period to the third period. I was not happy. It was not a good game tonight. Uh, so that's what I drank tonight, Eddie. What about you? Uh, well, I've been sick, so I drank water, <laughs> which is not, not as, which is obviously not as fun. Uh, so I was unfortunately suffering through the whole thing, the whole thing entirely sober. Um, hopefully next time, if the, this game, this game four coming up is not as bad, I won't be sick and I'll actually be able to uh, drink my way through the game and not have to, <laughs> not have to suffer through it to completely sober. But no, today, unfortunately, as tough as it was, I had to drink water to avoid getting sicker than I am now. Um, let's move on to the next question here. Diane had some questions about Perry. She said, what's Perry's problem? Is it depression? Is it drug use? And that was specifically not like heroin or cocaine, but is that like drug use with his injuries that he's had, or is it due to the injuries that he's had so far? What is what is his problem? I mean, in my opinion, I think it's just age and the fact that he can't keep up with the game. But do you think it's one of the things she mentioned? No, not at all. I mean, I, I mentioned this before on the show that the Ducks have said that um, he's worn knee braces on both knees at some points. He's got bad knees, really bad knees, and that's no secret. We've heard rumors of him having an ACL injury over last season. He's obviously, we've seen him go down with any injuries before. Um, games caught up with him, and he's not as effective as he used to be. And if you're going to judge him by his contract numbers, you're going to be sorely disappointed year in and year out. But if you're looking at him as a guy who's going to score you 40, 45 points a season – and you're okay with that, then Corey Perry's a good player for you. He's not your heart-winning trophy player. He's not your 50-goal scorer. He's not your 100-point guy. He's now your 50-point guy max. That's just what you have to settle with Corey Perry. It's knee injuries, and the game's cut up with him. He's got nothing wrong with him other than that. you got to give a shout-out to King Pepper on Twitter, uh, saying the Forever Mighty podcast is only speaking the truth about the current state of the Ducks playoffs and the future of the hockey club. Uh, I gotta thank you for the kind words, King Pepper on Twitter. We're doing our best to uh, guide you guys through a tough loss and uh, look forward to the hopefully a brighter future next season. Uh, next question, a little bit uh, more relevant after the goalie change tonight, but does Ryan Miller get the net in Game Four? Paula was asking that question. 
No, it, it's going to be John Gibson. I feel like I, I would be really yeah. hard pressed to see Ryan Miller come in. Yeah, I feel like it was a courtesy pull today. And yeah, I mean, what are you going to do with Gibby? Yeah. He gave him how many two one one goals? I mean, you can say whatever you want. Oh, he didn't make the outstanding save here and there. It's like, okay, hold on a minute. Like the Ducks defense got exposed yeah. on unfortunate plays, and Gibby just got hung out to dry. I, I can't blame Gibson in the series. I'd love to blame John Gibson in the series and say it was his fault, and we should have never got rid of Anderson. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If anyone knows me from the puck guys, I'm the one who said we should probably trade Gibson and keep Freddie and get more yeah. for Gibson. Everyone's high on Gibby. Gibby's been great. Vesna Trophy award-winning nominating se- uh, season, and this series has not been his fault. He's been hung out to dry a lot. On that same point, Lori asked, should we have changed the goalie earlier? And she was stating that the Ducks, uh, she feels the Ducks play better in front of Ryan Miller. Um... I don't know if it really would have mattered, honestly, because you can't... I mean, if you pull him early, then you're essentially putting it on his shoulders and saying it was his fault, which I don't believe. I mean, if anybody thinks that goals two and three by the Sharks were his fault, I, I don't think we were watching the same game because there's really not much he can do on those plays. And you look at the fact that three identical goals were scored in this series. I know it was Logan Couture at the first one where he's on a breakaway, pulled it to his backhand. Today it was Marcus Sorsen. I can't remember who it was in game two. But it was exactly the same type of identical goal on a breakaway. Can't blame him on those ones. I mean, what's the guy supposed to do? I mean, he can only he can only make so many good saves on a two on one in a game. If you think that's his fault, then uh, I mean, like I said, we're not watching the same hockey game tonight. So I don't think they should have changed him earlier. I don't think the the Ducks play any any better in front of Miller or Gibson. I mean, I just feel like when Miller's had to come in, he's played pretty well, and that's obviously in the regular season. But, uh, no, I, I really don't think it would have mattered if they changed him earlier or when they did at the start of the third period. It's hard to blame the goaltending. Um, I yeah. get people's frustration. You know, I really look at, at uh, Paola and Lori talking about the goaltending. I get it. I mean, you see the goal, the goals getting you know pushed in the, in the Ducks' net, and it's not a pretty sight to see when you're a Ducks fan. But, honestly, coming from the chances that were surrendered with this Ducks team, it's hard to put it on the goaltending there. I have no problem with what's been in the crease this season. Or this playoffs. This is not a Jonathan Bernie episode. Uh, this is more or less uh, the Ducks being victimized by chances and not converting on their own. I, this has nothing to do with this in the crease. But I yeah, get it. Yeah. I understand when you see when you see an eight yeah. to one score, you're, you're looking at something as a fan. You're just like, what could we have done to change this? And I mean, but honestly, it's it's just not goaltending. You got to look at the at the five guys in front of the net. Yeah, you put Miller in that same situation, and it, it's the same outcome. I mean, nobody's really stopping those plays. There's not much you can do unless you're going to make a ridiculous save. I mean, there's just not much you can do. Those were perfectly executed two-on-ones by the Sharks. I mean, great passes to a guy who's wide open. There's not much you can do. And James brings up a perfect point here. Without Gibson, the Ducks wouldn't even have made the playoffs. I mean, that's right. that's the truth. They wouldn't have. So you can't – and you can't blame him. I mean, if he was at fault for the goals in these three games – We'd be the first ones to blame him and and to to criticize him for being at fault, but he hasn't been. I mean, he he's been outstanding in the games that he's played. He's maybe the one goal you can you can blame him for. Give a little bit of fault for was the hurdle goal in game two. He overplayed it slightly. There was one goal in this game. I felt like he could have played a little bit better. But other than that, the it, it's been two on ones. It's been power play goals. It's been guys left wide open. There's not much you can do on any of them. And again, like you said, you look at an 8-1 scoreline and you, you, your first thing is to blame the goaltenders. But Gibson was good in this game. And the Ducks just didn't help him out in front. 
Uh, and that kind of goes into a question. I'll bring it up. We've already answered it. Jason asked if the issue was defense or Gibson. I feel like the easy answer is defense. Uh, it was awful in this game. There was some bad plays where Montour wiped out. There's not much you can do on that play, but a lot of a lot of odd man rushes we've seen in this series. You you have to blame the defense uh, for allowing them. Yeah, I mean that's just kind of the way it goes here. They're, they're, I mean, and it's also unfortunate plays. I mean, Montour blew a tire too. Yeah. I mean, there was there's some plays there where you could look at him and and say this could have been better or that could have been better on the defensive side of things. But unfortunate things happened. I mean, Lindholm got caught up in a rush. Montour blows a tire on the half wall. Look at Montour last game. He was all over the ice, positively and negatively, trying to do maybe too much, trying to get this team back into the win column, and it's, it just hasn't worked out. But you can't push it. You can't you can't put it on anyone in the crease. Yeah. Um, so Sweetwater had a question on, I think this was on Reddit. She said, have the Ducks shortcomings the past couple of years come as a result of the frugality of Murray? Frugality? No. Yeah. Uh, personnel selection? Yes. And who you're going to give contracts to that have no move clauses? Yes. I mean, the Gesloff Perry one, you, you kind of can't do anything about those. You, <laughs> They, those guys yeah. won the cup. They were in their prime. They were dominant during their era of uh, of play. I mean, really, they've kind of come down a little bit, especially Perry. Obviously, as we talked about him earlier, you got to give them what they want. You're going to get the big bucks out of those guys. The Kessler one, I, I, I love Ryan Kessler when he's when he's not injured. Um, this contract's going to hurt Anna and Kevin Bx. So that contract hurts the Ducks, as we've seen. Um, those are just some contracts you can't look past. I mean, really, that's that's how I feel about it. it it's more of a personnel selection than it is uh, frugality on Bob Murray. The Ducks play to the cap. Yeah, and I don't think it's all on frugality. I think you are right that it comes to the fact that the personnel selection has forced them to be against the cap. But then you look at some of the decisions that he's made at the deadline, and you have to think that he just wasn't willing to give up the assets to get those players, and that is frugality on his part, where he doesn't think... He, you know, it's worth it to give up what was given up for for Vander Kane to go get him, or it's a great give point. Up a, a give up a second or a third round pick to bring in that depth defenseman that can really shield you from the issues the Ducks have had in this series. I mean, Cam Fowler has been a big hole for the Ducks, and they haven't been able to fill it. And not saying a guy like Ian Cole or or any of the guys picked up at the deadline could have filled that hole, but it definitely would have made it a little bit of an easier transition. And then having a guy like Evander Kane or Max Pacioretty, if you pull the trigger on those guys. I mean, it, it comes back to a point that you said where a lot of GMs just overvalue their picks and the prospects they have in their system. Uh, and they, they really believe that they've drafted the best player at that position in that draft and that they're going to do well. And, and, I mean, the Ducks prospects have performed this season. Maxim Comtois has taken a huge step forward. Sam Steele has a lot of promise. Max Jones, despite being injured, is a guy the Ducks feel is still going to be a good player. And, and that may be, but, you know, the, the Ducks' window is... is Sure, it's 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 almost closed. I mean, it's essentially closed after this season, if not maybe one more crack at it next year, where they're not going to be a contender, but they're going to be a team again considered maybe a dark horse if they have a good season. You got to make these moves. You you can't sit there and think, oh, well, what if I give up the second round pick? I could have got this guy in the draft with it instead of getting a player who could help you now. Uh, I think that is where you you deal with the issue of Murray being a little bit too frugal when he really needs to add to this team. Yeah, no, he, need, he he needed to do something. I mean, we definitely don't want to give up a first, second, and third for Tomas Tatar, who hasn't done anything for Vegas. 
But, I mean, looking beyond a guy like Evander Kane, who's known to do some damage, for, he was for, what, a second-round pick? Yeah. I mean, I would have been okay with the with Peanuts, the Thomas Vanek. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Vanek, I would have been okay He's with been that, good too. too. He's been yeah. good for Columbus. So, they needed something. And I feel like his unwillingness to give up the assets is is what hurt them this season. But it's not, it's not the main reason that it, it's a lot of things kind of buckled into, into one. So, um, let's... I think we, we already asked this question. I don't know if, if you'd seen this question or not, but it, Bald and Beardless on Twitter asked, what are the chances for some real changes this offseason? We already hit on this. but Slim to none. Slim to none, yeah. I mean, that sums it up right there. I don't think there's, there's going to be anything real that changes barring maybe a couple little things. Uh, Brandon asked, aside from the penalties, do you think these three losses fall on the players, the coach, or the systems? Again, we touched on this, but if you had to pick one of those three, uh, where it would mainly fall, do you think it's the players, the coach, or the system they instill? And I know that I guess the system is sort of on the coach as well, but yeah, I would go with that option. I was going to say it's a system issue, yeah. uh, and that involves the coaching staff. I feel like uh, there should be changes there, but that will not happen because of what we already talked about with the all the injuries. You're going to see no coaches get fired, no GM get fired. It's, it's going to be status quo going next year. It's going to be the same thing, same lineup, same system. But it's well, definitely that- a system problem. Yeah, that perfectly leads into Alex's question. Now, this is your opinion. This isn't who you th- what you think is going to happen. But he said, "Would you rather uh, a fire Randy, b fire Bob Murray, c fire both, or d fire neither?" Ah, Jesus, uh, fire Randy. Yeah, I'm a little partial to Bob. Bob's made some good deals, and he's drafted yeah. well. There's some good things to say about Bob Murray. There's not a whole lot of things that besides Randy Carlisle has a Stanley Cup than there is to say about Randy Carlisle. And yeah. let's be real. He won a Stanley Cup because John Gibson and Scott Niedermeyer and Chris Pronger. I mean, sorry, yeah. and Tim Mussolini. <laughs> yes. You can't look past those guys and say it was all coaching. Uh, I would yeah. not mind seeing Randy Carlisle be replaced this offseason. If you're going to say for who, uh, I want to see who's available this summer. I, I have a feeling there's going to be more firings this summer other than Elaine Vigneault. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I tend to agree with you. I just think, you know, I wouldn't fire Bob yet, but I feel like he has a lot to blame because I feel like he's put together this team that doesn't fit the style of the NHL currently. I feel like he's he's building a team for the past, and, and it just it, it it obviously hasn't worked, which is I guess what you would expect. Uh, I mean, the, the team he's put on the ice just hasn't adapted to the way the NHL is supposed to be played today. So. There is a lot of blame on his shoulders, but the easy fire, and if he had to pick one, and who I'd, I'd want to see out to at least get some change in would be Randy Carlisle, because I feel like at least to bring in another guy with a different system, we talked about on the last show, how if you can change up the system, I feel like we still have the players to make this work uh, if they're playing a different way and, and adapt a little bit better to the way the NHL is being played today. I feel like we have some guys in the lineup that can do that, and if you bring in a coach who could work that out of this team, I feel like that would would be interesting to see. But as in bringing guys in, I mean, the, the cup window's closing. It's Do you bring in a guy who focuses on winning now? Do you bring in a guy who can transition this team, you know, who could, could look to winning in the playoffs, but then could transition this team and be a part of the team when they're losing and then when they're better down the road? Or do you just go with the easy promotion and fire Randy and bring up Dallas Eakins from, from San Diego? and plug him in for a season to see how he does. I mean, it's interesting because there's a different avenues you could go based on 
you know, how you think this team's going to do and if you want this new guy long-term or if you're going to move him out to bring in a different coach to, to guide them long-term down the road. It, it's an interesting situation. If you're going to fire Randy Carlisle and bring up Dallas Aikens, that means you're talking about a full-fledged rebuild, in my opinion. You're talking about bringing in yeah. young guys and and, a, and rebuilding this team from the foundation up because that's what Dallas Aikens is known for. I mean, look what he's done with San Diego. They're a competitive team. I think they missed the playoffs this season, but they were close. Um, and look at all the guys he's brought up through that lineup in, into the uh, into the Ducks organization. So I feel like if you're going to go Dallas Aikens, you're talking about a rebuild. If you're talking about Elaine Vigneault, that means you're going to win now. There's got to be somebody in between that can transition this team. Um, when the possibility was out there for Travis Green being part of the Ducks organization, I think that would have been a good move for the Ducks. Yeah. I, I just feel this based on his qualifications and his ability to win at other levels would bring a lot to Anaheim. Chris pops in on the chat and says, Sutter, do you think Daryl Sutter as an Anaheim Ducks coach would be realistic? One, and two, would it work? We, well, we talked about this when we had our whole, I think this was on the second or third show we had where we broke down like about eight or nine different coaches and he was one of the guys we had listed as a guy you could bring in and, and possibly be a coach for the Ducks. Uh, I don't know. I really, I feel like he'd be that guy that you would bring in to win now, and not necessarily transition this team after their windows closed. I feel like that would be the option, one of the options you'd bring in to do that. So, and I feel like that's what Randy Carlisle essentially was too, was a guy that you would bring in to to try and win now, and wouldn't necessarily be the guy you look to transition this team down the road. So, if 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 uh, Suter does come in, if sorry Sutter does come in. I feel like it's it's not long term. You know, you give him a couple seasons, see how he can do, and then you move on and you bring in a guy who can work with this team, bring in some younger players and move on. But in my opinion, I would just like to see that guy now. You know, see what he can do. You maybe he wins you a couple playoff series if, if or whatnot, but then you at least you don't have to fire another guy to bring in the guy who's gonna transition you. <laughs> Gordon Bombay caught me yawning on the phone. I tried to turn the one <laughs> the mic away. That's funny. <laughs> No, I'd agree with you there on on both uh, on on Sutter and uh, what you're going to do here with the Ducks. On what, he's he's a win now coach. He's not somebody looking to the future to build up. I agree with that for sure. Yeah, we're we're almost done here. We got a couple more questions. Alex Alex asked, "Is Getzloff an effective captain?" Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anything's yeah. wrong with Brian Getzloff. He's got all the fire you need and the experience and the talent to back it up. I have zero problem with what Getzloff puts on the ice. Yeah, I mean, he made a couple bonehead moves tonight, got himself out of the game, but, I mean, you can understand the frustrations are high when you're losing. I think when he got kicked out, it was like 6-7-1. I mean, I get it. He's a guy who wants to win. He's a competitive guy. So, no, I think he's an effective captain. I mean, he's led this team since he's come back from injury this year. He's been the Ducks' best player. I mean, you can't ask much more from, from your captain to really lead this team and get them into the playoffs. I hope this talk isn't coming up again. I, I remember, I don't know if it was, I think it was two seasons ago, maybe maybe even a little bit after last season, how people were saying, oh, Ryan Kessler should be the captain of this team instead of Ryan Getzlaff, and I just laughed that off, and I said, I I don't know how you can even no, think of that just based off. That. It's, no. it's always recency bias. I mean, Getzlaff will not show up maybe for a series of people like, oh, he shouldn't be captain. Kessler had, like, a good, I think, a good playoffs there, and everybody was on the hype train of, of Ripping the C off Getzlaff and putting it on Ryan Kessler, and couldn't believe that. And we don't hear about that much more. I hope it. I hope it doesn't come up anymore because that's just ridiculous. I mean, this guy's proven year and year out that he's uh, an effective and deserving captain on this team. 
No, I agree. Okay. There's nothing Gordon Bombay says, oh my god, not that again. <laughs> yeah, we can't go through that again. Yeah. Um, Alejandro asked, is Perry a fourth liner now? No, he's a third liner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a promotion. I, I think so, too. I, You know, 50 points is still good. No, it's great. And again, it's it's the same thing. It's the same criticism we kind of akin to, to Nick Ritchie and how we expect more from him because of his draft position. We expect more from Corey Perry because of his contract. Uh, but 50 points is good. I mean, it's it's essentially a second liner or third liner. I feel like, you know, he still provides value in the top nine for the Ducks. I, don't, I think saying he's a fourth liner is is pretty bad considering, I mean, he's still putting up. I mean, I don't know many uh, fourth liners who put up 50 points. Right? No, so, not many. It, it's tough to it's tough to be that harsh on him. I mean, this playoffs have not been great for him. He was a guy we expected to step up and do well based off his playoffs last year. So it's been disappointing. But really, I mean, saying he is a, is a fourth liner is a bit harsh. Um, moving into the last couple questions we have here. Alex, kind of summing it up, he says, will the Ducks win game four if they do as a comeback even 1% possible? Uh, no and yes. They will not win game four, but statistically speaking, that possibility is there. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're going to be sad just like me on Wednesday. I just, I don't see it happening. I just, I really yeah. don't. I, I'm holding hope and um, looking back in the past, and, and obviously it, it really has no comparison to the series now, but how that... Uh, that Sharks and Kings series folded out where they got lit up for their first game, first three games of the series, and then they just figured it out in the last four. I don't see it happening. I could see the Ducks maybe winning game four. I mean, it just because it's do or die, it's it's really do or die. I mean, this game tonight essentially should have been like that, but... They can't score five yeah. on five. Who's going to put yeah. the puck in the net? There's no one I mean, scoring things, on this things, team. Things can change. I mean, the, this team at times during the regular season have gone on stretches where they've they've scored goals and they've looked very good. And, and the top line has, has changed things around, and the, and the third line has gotten going, and and the guys have chipped in all over the lineup. I mean, they have the ability to change it around for four games in a row against the, the, the way the Sharks have been playing. I don't see it. I can see them winning one game in Game Four. Maybe at most stringing together two wins, but winning four straight against this team, it wouldn't take the Ducks just playing well. It would take a full-on collapse from the San Jose Sharks as well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not going to just be a great effort from the Ducks. The Sharks are going to have to completely fall apart for them to come back and win this series. But as for, like, a Game 4 win, I could see it. I could see the Sharks getting a little bit complacent. You know, they're, they're up 3 nothing. Maybe not coming out with as much effort as they have in the first three games, and the Ducks kind of catching them by surprise and winning that game. But it's going to take a lot of effort and a, and a lot of collapse on the Sharks' part for the Ducks to win this series and come back. I mean, it, just, it doesn't happen that often for a reason because it's almost impossible to come back from down 3-0 against any team in the playoffs. The teams who get to the playoffs got here for a reason, and uh, most of them don't lose four straight games. It just doesn't happen. Nope. Uh, last question from Chris was a three-parter. Uh, he said, if the Ducks look awful in game four, does Randy Carlo come back next year? We answered this. Uh, we think he does no matter what, just based off what Bob Murray has said. Be very surprised if he didn't. Yeah, I know he's coming back. And who do you replace him with? I mean, I don't know. That's too tough to say. I, I can't imagine going with Dallas Aikens. I mean, it would it would be great because that would mean this team's looking at a new, younger direction. I feel like that would be good for the team. Um, 
But I mean, Bob would more or less try to go after a guy like Elaine Vigno or somebody else who pops up who we haven't heard of yet, uh, who hasn't been let go, who's just or who's just sitting around that hasn't been picked up. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think anyone's going to take his uh, his spot. Randy Carlisle and Bob Murray both safe. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap this up here. Dean said in the chat, he said, "Come on, I can't be the only sadist in here. He's excited for a game four. I mean, I, I can admit I'm somewhat excited." Because I'm always excited to watch Ducks hockey, even though that tonight's game was was depressing, and I think all that excitement wore off after the fourth Sharks goal. But you know, with with the fact that, like you said, there's still that statistical chance the Ducks could come back. There's always that excitement, that hope. We all we all still believe in this team. Is as slim a chance as there is. I, I still find myself getting a little bit excited for Game Four. I'm not. Um, I'm not looking forward. To that game at all, I feel this Ducks <laughs> team has not shown me anything other than disappointment this postseason, Eddie. I'm a, I'm a giant Ducks fan. I don't want anyone to think that I'm just yeah. sitting here trying to bash this team and having a great time about it. I was genuinely bummed and genuinely ripped through a six pack in under 45 minutes or an hour because I was pissed watching this game tonight, just how poorly it was played. Um, I want them to win. I want them to win four straight. I, I just don't see it happening. If they win two out of this, two, I would be stoked. I, I just don't see it ever happening. And as Chris just said, if they if they come back and win the series, Randy Carlyle will never be fired. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is definitely the truth. I 100% agree with that. Um, I don't see it happening. I honestly feel like we'll be talking on Wednesday night about how the series wrapped and what we can look forward to for an off-season show and our draft show and our, and our free agency show where the Ducks are going to be making minor moves here. Um, I hope it's not the case, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I, I respect that. I, I mean, I feel like people are on the fence a bit. I feel like there's some bit of excitement for Game 4, but there's a lot of pessimism and a lot of disappointment. And just knowing that the Ducks season is likely over on Wednesday, if not shortly after that, has a lot of people just not looking forward to I mean, that's partial reason why I'm not looking forward to Game 4. I still have that, that slight bit of excitement because there's a chance that they, they can turn things around because I've seen at, when they're at their best what this team could do, but there are no signs that they're going to get back there. So I can see where that disappointment and where that uh, pessimism, where it stems from. So Yeah, we'll be I, back. I picked them in six. I picked yeah. that team to win in six. I picked the Kings to win in six over Vegas. Yeah. It ain't happening. <laughs> it's just not happening. I, well, to be fair, I, I picked Philly to win in seven, and that's not looking too great either. So <laughs> you we'll, win some, uh, you lose some. We'll see how it goes. I mean, we'll be back no matter what. Absolutely. On Wednesday, I don't feel. I feel like it can't get more depressing than this. I mean, yeah, their season could be go could be over on Wednesday, but this was an eight-one loss in a game three. It's almost as low as it can get unless you lose like 10-1 in game four so we'll be back no matter what um we'll be working on some things hopefully in the off season getting a couple people on we won't have of course as many shows because there'll be no games to cover but i'm sure we'll cover things like the draft and whatnot throughout the throughout the season of course patrick will be doing his show with his partner jason and in the puck guys i'll be doing my show uh, on a semi-regular basis with Mike on Ducks and Pucks, so we'll be hitting you from different angles throughout the throughout the off season as as often as we can. Uh, Forever Mighty Three Stars will run until the Ducks are out of the playoffs, at least this edition of it. So that could be as early as Wednesday. 
I'll have the updated leaderboard tomorrow. So if you're listening, well, I mean, I guess later today now because it is for both of us past midnight now. Yeah, it's almost three thirty your time. Three <laughs> thirty on Tuesday. So uh, I'll have it up. Um, last time on our updated leaderboard, we had Chelshock who was leading with five points. We had a couple of people right behind him with four, and then a bunch of people with three. And there was four chances to get points today, so I'm sure a lot of people guessed Raquel. Um, 8-1, I'm sure nobody got that. So we're safe to say that nobody got the final score right, but for shots and for the team and for Raquel, there's a chance for people to pick up three points tonight, so it'll be interesting to see who's leading. And for those of you who don't know and hearing this for the first time, if you do participate that, the winner does get a jersey from Cool Hockey. Ricky, our past leader today, just tweeted out to us that he got his jersey. He got a Ricard Raquel home Adidas jersey that just got shipped to him today. Unfortunately, in time for an 8-1 loss against the Sharks. But nonetheless, uh, he ended up getting his jersey, which was great to see. No, it's amazing. So, as you guys heard, Eddie, you guys should participate. Uh, there's at least one more game and on Wednesday for the, our Forever Mighty three-star leaderboard. So check that out. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're trying to get more heavy on those ends. We're definitely extremely active on Twitter. Thanks mostly to Eddie for that. Um, but please subscribe. If you haven't already, go to iTunes, hit subscribe, give us a five-star rating, leave us a great review. We love you guys for that. And we do have some off-season things cooking. Eddie and I are talking about expanding the show, possibly to more things. So stay tuned for those. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. There is a chance that we'll be talking about a game five, but you'll have to tune in here on Wednesday night to hear us talk about that or off-season plans for the Ducks and future plans for the show. Uh, but stay tuned, and we'll be back to you guys on Wednesday night. Have a great uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning, whatever you want to call it, and we'll see you guys Wednesday. <laughs>